All right, I have three goals today. My three goals are this. One is I want to connect praying to our teaching on the Holy Spirit and the gifts. So that's the first thing I want to do, and that's what we'll take a little time to do. The second thing that I want to do, because next week is Palm Sunday, and then we'll have our Good Friday service at 7 p.m. on that Friday, and then our Easter service, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break from the spiritual gifts. And we may come back to that after Easter. But we're going to be taking a little break. So what I wanted to do is just offer a few miscellaneous thoughts about spiritual gifts after we've connected prayer, okay? And then the third thing we want to do is we're going to honor someone today who's a a real example of using their gifts, pouring energy into their gifts and, and taking responsibility with their gifts as an example for all of us, all right? So those are the three things we're going to do. Why prayer? Why should we teach on prayer? And why should we connect it to the spiritual gifts? First reason, because of my own experience, I see that walking in the Spirit is really connected to a conversational relationship with God. You know, God saved us into a relationship with Him. It's like, do you remember when you weren't following Jesus, you were distant from Jesus? You didn't talk to Jesus. Then He saved you, and He actually wants to have a relationship with you. Otherwise, He wouldn't have saved you. He saved you because he, he's, he's loving and kind and merciful, and now he wants this relationship with you. Isn't it a shame that many Christians don't pray a lot more than they did as non-Christians? They might do a lot of other things. Might pray, might go to church, might join a small group, but don't have this conversational relationship with God, which is what he died to give you. So I see that walking in the Spirit, which seems so foreign to us because we've become so dependent on walking in the strength of ourselves. You know, we say walk in the power of the Spirit, and it's like we can't walk because we're so used to walking in our own strength and dependence. Prayer is connected to that. Another reason to talk about prayer Conversations with Jairus as he was preparing the men's breakfast for this week. We were talking a few weeks ago, a few months ago, about prayer. And he did something using J.C. Ryle's call to prayer. And there were parts of that that really emphasized the importance of praying in the Christian life. And then chapter 3 of Sam Storm's book. It's downstairs. We put two books down there that are helpful. This chapter 3 has really influenced some of the things that I'll say. Here's my main point. There is little hope, little hope, for the proper and maximized use of our spiritual gifts apart from consistent commitment to praying. Okay, let me say that again, all right? There's little hope for the proper 
maximized use of our spiritual gifts. So, so I'm getting emails and texts that people are excited to use their spiritual gifts and they, they're discovering what their spiritual gift is and they want to be of service and of use to Jesus and His kingdom. What I'm saying today is there's little hope that that's going to happen apart from a consistent commitment to praying. Notice I didn't say to prayer. Sam Storms points this out. There's a lot of people that would say they have a commitment to prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about to actually praying. There's people here that would fill out a survey. Do you have a commitment to prayer? Yes. Want prayer back in the public schools? Oh, do you pray regularly? No. Disconnect. So I'm saying there's little hope that we're going to be the people that God... Do you want to be the people that God has called us to be? Do you, want to, do you want to do damage for the kingdom of God in this area and all the way to the ends of the earth? Yes. Then we got to be... The prayer is going to be part of that. Praying is going to be part of that. That's what I'm saying. And I have so much to learn here. Because I, like many of you, have gotten used to doing the Christian life in my own strength. I'll do it my way. Don't need you. And God wants to draw us into a close relationship with Him through conversation and through prayer. And it's through that prayer that we'll be led by His Spirit, empowered by His Spirit, and the gifts that He's given us will be activated, maximized, energized. You want some of that? I want some of that. We won't be reaching, we won't be building, we won't be releasing as God has called us to. See, I, my vision for what we could be is off the charts. That's not to say we ain't nothing now. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying though is when I look at my Bible and I see what disciples do, 12 men turn the world upside down. The gospel has come to us because of Jesus' effective discipleship of them. That's how God wants to use us. But there's little hope that that's going to be our experience apart from consistent commitment to praying. Now, for many of us, it's quiet in here. You guys with me? Sometimes I take a drink of water and I listen. For many of us, a consistent commitment to, to praying in our prayer life is weak. And I want to give you two reasons why I think this to be true. And they're, theolo- they're theological reasons. I think my commitment to praying is weak because I'm theologically, I've gotten sideways theologically. Here's what I mean. Our consistency in praying is hindered by 
our belief that God is sovereign. And our consistent, consistent praying is hindered because we believe that God is good. You say, what? You tracking me? When I say that God is sovereign, I'm saying that that means He rules over everything. He's king over all, and I believe the Bible teaches that from beginning to end. I believe He's sovereign over all things. If He's not, then someone else is, and I can't tolerate that thought. He's sovereign over all things. So what happens with our prayer life goes something like this. You might not have ever said it to anybody, but if God is going to work all things out and he's in control of everything, then why should I pray? He's going to do it anyway. God is good. I had some friends that used to say that, saying God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. He's good all the time. He's never evil. So if God's sovereign over all things, and he's generous, and he bestows blessing upon us, and he does it by grace, then why really do I have a need to pray? He's working all things out, and he's always good. You ever think like that? So whether I pray consistently or not, really makes no difference, right? You should say, wrong. And I'm going to show you two passages of Scripture right now. Two passages that as I read them, if you let them hit you the way I think they're intended to hit you, you're going to be slightly unsettled. Do you like to be slightly unsettled? I don't like to be slightly unsettled, but I love to make people slightly unsettled. And these two verses, if we really read them, are going to expose this idea that, that we should be in regular communication, consistent communication with God if we really want to see His will done if we really want to see all that he wants to accomplish in us. I want that. So I want these verses. Look at Isaiah chapter 30. It's a little bit different than we usually do things. But I want to look at, take a look at two passages of Scripture. Isaiah 30, verses 18 through 19. Now, this is Isaiah, anointed by the Holy Spirit, speaking about God's relationship with Israel, but I I think there is application that can be made to us. Listen to what Isaiah writes in verse 18 and 19. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you.
you unsettled by that? I don't like a God that waits. I like right here, right now. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Look at verse 19. For a people shall dwell in Zion in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. Paraphrase. God will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your voice. God will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your prayer. Do I need to make a qualifying statement? Does God only save those who work up, who do enough works to justify themselves to God? Have I taught you, church, that that's not what he's saying here? God saves by grace. Saves by mercy. There's nothing we could ever do to get to God. God sent Jesus to come get us. So, So what is he saying here? He will be surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. He's looking for a people to show mercy to as they wait on him. The, 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 the verb wait used two times. This is kind of stunning to me. If God is gracious and he loves to show mercy, why doesn't he just do it? Why wait? Why does he first want to hear their cry? Why does he first want to hear their request? Why does he first want to hear their voice? Come on, Lord. Just give it. Come on, Lord. Just pour out your blessings. Pour out your help. Pour out your gifts. Pour out your provision. Why do you insist that we wait on you in prayer? Why would God insist that? I mean, i got to be honest with you. It seems like if God was interested in efficiency... If he was interested in effectiveness and efficiency, he would not require this. He'd just say, listen, I saved you, let me take care of everything. Why doesn't he do that? Why does God sacrifice efficiency? Because efficiency is not his way. He wants a people that wait on him. He wants a people that talk to him. He wants a people that actually express their, their desires and their needs and their longings and their pain to him. God finds honor and glory in being the one to whom we must humbly come to receive what we need. 
You get that? That was an important one. Sometimes preachers need to emphasize what they just said. Like in my notes, that was capitalized. Did you get that? God finds glory. And isn't that what he's about? He's about his fame. He's about his glory shining throughout all the earth. And he finds honor and glory in being the one to whom we must humbly come to receive what we need. God wants to hear what you need so that he can say, here it is. Now, we don't always pray according to what we need. We pray according to what we want. Lord, give me an 85-inch HD TV like my neighbors because the one I got for Christmas doesn't seem good enough. Now, would God even give us good things like that? Yes. But that might not be what we need. God's concerned about giving us what we really need. And when we humbly come to him and say, Lord, I need this. He's a father. Just like if you've ever experienced fatherhood, you want to give to your kids what they need. There's another one. James. After all of Paul's letters, Hebrews, James, right before Peter. James 4.2. This one unsettles me. The end of the verse. You do not have Because, what's it say, church? You don't ask. Is it possible, are you willing to believe that, that you don't have some things from God because you didn't ask for it? James thinks it is. Do you see the priority of prayer here? Why? Why do you require me to ask you, Lord? Don't you know what I need? Why? Why? There's my answer to that. Because God loves to be pursued. You with me on that? God loves for us to pursue Him. God loves to be asked. God loves to be asked repeatedly over and over without fear that you're bothering Him or nagging Him. I hate to be asked things over and over. I answer once. That's where God and me are not alike. God says, no, 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 I want to hear. I want to hear what's on your heart. I want to hear. I want to have a real, honest relationship with you. And then I'll answer you according to my sovereignty and according to my goodness. He's always still, he's still those things. 
When I said we get theologically sideways, I was saying that his sovereignty and his goodness affect our consistency in prayer. And what God is saying is my sovereignty and my goodness should not cause you not to pray. It should actually invite you to pray. And that's what he's doing over and over and over again. He wants a people that wait on him. He wants a people that make their desires known to him. He wants to hear their cries, their desires, their wants, their longings. He wants to be asked. And the Scripture tells us that, that oftentimes we are going without, we haven't received because we haven't asked. It pleases God to have a relationship with us. So as we talk to Him and we're consistently praying to Him, it pleases Him to draw near to us to pour out His power upon us and to do wonderful things through a people who persevere, asking the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in people's hearts, in people's bodies, in people's minds, in people's souls. I want that, church. Don't you want that? Don't we want that? That's what God wants for us. Now, one of the things that's happened throughout the church, throughout history, is this exhortation to pray, to be consistent in our prayers, has resulted in what I'll call more robotic, rote, mindless prayers. That's not what God is talking about. It's not like, boy, I really want to be close to God, so I'm going to read this prayer or say this prayer and then mark it off I prayed and and now God is going to be manipulated by some incantation that I pray this this happens it happens all over it happens in churches happens in denominations people are taught these prayers and basically said if you want to be a good Christian if you want to be a good person then you pray this way and it becomes, there's no heart. There's no emotion. There's no, there's no affection in the prayer. There's no real, real relationship expressed. It's just words. My son, when he was in eighth grade and throughout high school, um, both of them played, uh, played football. And uh, they played on a Catholic middle school and Catholic high school team. And one of the things that a lot of the Catholic boys on the football team do is they know a lot of memorized prayers. Well, I don't say they know a lot, but they know some prayers that they can pray. Like if you said to them, can you pray in our Father? Bam. You pray Hail Mary? Got it. And so one day I was standing on the sidelines, and they always did this. And, I, and it was commendable. They asked one of the boys to pray before practice and before a game. And they always prayed either a Hail Mary or an Our Father. And my son was asked to pray. He don't know to Hail Mary. He knows the Our Father, but not by that title. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be good. 
Because in this instance, and this is not to disparage, I'm not doing that. I have a lot of friends who are Catholic, a lot. My, my, the point of the illustration is there was a mindlessness to those prayers. So my son then begins to pray the way he's heard prayer. And it's like this conversation. And, you know, usually when the eyes would just kind of go down and bow, he began to pray something that wasn't Hail Mary and something that wasn't our Father. And everybody, what is he doing? You talking to God like you actually know him? What God is not saying here is in order for us to be consistent, we become mindless in our requests. In fact, Jesus taught us in Matthew 6 when he was teaching about prayer. He said this, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Why? Because God knows what you need before you ask him. And this is where we get back to it. Well, if you already know, then why ask him? Because he wants you to talk to him. He wants to have a relationship with you. But God's not impressed by mindless verbosity. God's not impressed with the words we use. What he wants to know is what's on your heart, which he already knows anyway. But he wants to talk to you about those things. We were in the, we were in the men's breakfast yesterday, and I had, I had this experience where I was sitting at a table, and at the table were two pastors, a former pastor, a guy who was in pastoral ministry in the past, a mature believer, and someone that has just started to follow Jesus. And, and Jairus led us into a time of prayer. And we started to pray. We got a pastor praying. Another pastor praying. Former pastor praying. And the prayers were, and I'm not saying at all that we were trying to impress with our prayers. I wasn't. But as I was listening to our prayers, I was thinking, this guy who is a new believer is never going to open his mouth. He's going to think that to pray means this. Or you theological, thank you for justifying me, blah, 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 you know, and all these words, you know. We, it, it was just coming out of our mouth. It wasn't fake. It wasn't unreal. It was real. But I just was listening to what he was listening to. I was like, oh, my goodness. And Jairus' instructions were just to pray what was burdening you. That's all it was. And I leaned over to him while we were praying. I put my arm around him, and I said, listen, you've been listening to us pray. All God wants is for you to share your burden with him. Whatever's burdening you. You don't have to say it with any kind of words or anything. You just have to, I mean, you have to use words, but you, you don't have to, have to use special words. You just have to say, Lord, this is what hurts right now. And the smile on his face when he realized that that's what prayer is. It's just being real with God. Even he could do that. 
Even you and I can do that. We don't need to have special words. Like if we use those real theological words, man, you'll really get God's attention. No. In fact, you might get his inattention. The Pharisees used real big words. God wasn't impressed. God isn't duped by loquacity or verbosity. So there's a reason why we should be succinct in our prayers. See, sometimes we think somebody gets up and starts talking about prayer and you think, oh yeah, I'm not good at that. And you go all the way out to what you think it should be. Like hours of prayer. And it's not that. It's just, it's a fact, it's actually being succinct. Why? Because Jesus said, God knows what you need before we ask him. So why pray? Because God has determined not to fulfill all of our needs unless or until we ask him to. That's unsettling, isn't it? Our consistent praying is the means by which God has purposed to give us what he already knows we need. And you can be totally honest with God. You can be totally honest with him. Why? Because he sees your heart. You know, do you ever make a request of someone that doesn't see you perfectly? Which is anybody else besides God? You know what you do. Like, if I'm making a request, even to my wife and my love, like, if I'm making a certain request that I think is, gonna, is something that I want, but she might not want as much, I, I work that thing. You know, I'm emphasizing certain words. I'm spinning an eye, and I use words for a living, so I can be good with words, so I can kind of can kind of craft it. Now, she's shrewd. She sees right through this stuff. But I still try. So I can be less than honest. I can be manipulative. When I'm trying to make a request that I want, I can say it and craft it in a way that hopefully I'll get what I want. You don't have to do that to God. You shouldn't do that to God because God knows everything. So you can be completely honest with him in your prayers. Augustine said this. I love it. This is in the Sam Storms book. Sam Storms. Augustine said, God does not ask us to tell him our needs that he may learn about them, but in order that we may be capable of receiving what he's preparing to give. Did you catch that? God does not ask us to tell him our needs that he may learn about them, but in order that we may be capable of receiving what he's preparing to give. You will never be in a prayer time with God, saying something to God in prayer and praying to him, and him go, oh, Man, I don't. I never thought of it that way. Well, if I'd have known you were going to ask that, I would have. He's not like that. He's. He knows. He knows that sometimes you're praying for the wrong thing. He still wants you to pray. The reason God has instructed us to pray is so we have a predictable channel, and this is Sam Storms, a predictable channel of communication with him through which we express our desires. 
This is how we earnestly desire, which as Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians 14 about the spiritual gifts, we should earnestly desire them. How do you earnestly desire? You pray. So a few connections to prayer, and then we'll move to honoring someone. A few connections that I want to make. The last few weeks, we've talked about being aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And one of, the, one of the challenges that has challenged me, and I think a lot of you is as well, is when interruptions come, when obstacles come, when delays come, instead of complaining, we should look at it. If God rules over all things, then we look at those obstacles and those delays and those interruptions as opportunities to rely on the Holy Spirit. How do you rely on the Holy Spirit? It's an opportunity to talk to the Holy Spirit, to talk to God about the delay, about the obstacle, about the interruption that you're experiencing. Okay, you see this connection to prayer? All right, how about this? We've said that we need, to, we need the motivating power of the Spirit of God in our lives to do what? Believe the promises of God. So when temptation comes, we said, what are you going to hit it with? We need to talk to God about the temptations that we're experiencing that He might give us a promise that He empowers us to believe in the moment of temptation. You see the connection to prayer. God, we said a couple weeks ago, when it comes to spiritual gifts, we should be who God has made us to be so that we might do what God has called us to do. How do you do that? How do you be and do? Through conversation with the Holy Spirit. We said last week that we should pour our energy into the things that God has gifted us. We should focus on those things, not try to be who God hasn't called us to be. We're not spending a lot of time barking up the wrong tree, remember? We're taking responsibility. How do we do that? We do that through communication with God regularly. Lord, what is my gift? And if you know what your gift is, if you have a sense and people have confirmed that, that yeah, man, that's the way you're gifted. You, like, I'll use Bethany as an example. She's clearly got an ability to organize things, to rally people. You should focus on that gift. You shouldn't spend time trying to be what God hasn't called you to be. Focus your energies there. But, now here's the kicker, there's a responsibility that comes with that. God gave it to you. God's given me gifts. All of us. What's the gift he's given you? You've got an, a responsibility to exercise it. How do you do that? Through regular prayer. Now, two final thoughts. And a testament. Someone had asked, I love getting questions too about why I say the things that I say or we do the things that we do, how we lead the church. But someone was honestly asking, this was not, this was not uh, a barb at all, but they were honestly asking, are you teaching on the spiritual gifts because you're concerned about people not serving and this is your way to correct the church. And I want you to know, that's not what's happening. It's appropriate for correction to be brought to a church. That's appropriate. But my promise to you guys is I will never do that through a back door. I will say, I think you guys and us need to be corrected on this. And so let's look to God's Word and allow it to have its correcting, the Holy Spirit to correct us. You with me? I always try to give it to you straight. I'm not going to correct you in a, in a backdoor way. 
Okay? So this, this series is not a correction. It's a motivation. It's an encouragement to, to live in communion with the Spirit of God and to use the gifts that he's given us. You with me? Where can I practice using my gifts? If, I've been saying this, if you're waiting for this hour of every week to be the place in which you use your gifts, you are going to be a frustrated Christian. All kinds of one another's to be done in Scripture, but they happen primarily outside of this hour of the week. They happen in our lives, in the rhythm of our lives. So this is why we're emphasizing being part of missional community, a gospel community. There's a small group out there that, that, that live near you that you can have a rhythm of relationship with so that you have a context for using your gifts to serve other people. Don't wait for, don't get frustrated. Man, Sunday morning, I never get a chance to use my gift. Are you experiencing life in community? And I think, you know, I had this experience this week um, where someone is in the Explore class. So the Explore class, for those who don't know, is like nine weeks of just exploring who we are as a church and what we believe. And then it's a step towards partnership and brand new and grace. There's a couple in the Explore class that emailed Jairus and I and said, can we have you over for lunch? Or can we, can we take you out to lunch? Because we'd like to learn more about the church. I have to tell you, I was a little surprised at it. Like an, an explorer? They're inviting me over already? What was accomplished over a meal, talking about what God has done in their lives and what God's doing in Brandywine Grace, was worth the hour and 20 minutes that we had. And I think served them and served us in ways that I wonder if we miss out on. Here's my point. Hospitality is real important for Christians if you want to be a good disciple maker. And so if you want a context to enhance your prayer life in using your gifts, start having some people over more. You get to know them. Oh, I could pray for you. Oh, I could pray about that. I could help you with that. I could use, I have a gift that would help in this situation. And then we begin to pray and use those things. We don't want the church to be like a football game. A football game is 50,000 people sitting in the stands who desperately need some exercise watching 11 people who desperately need some rest. The church can be that way. It can be all these people sitting on the sidelines who desperately need to get praying and get using and get being and get doing, watching a smaller group of people, this is true for so many churches, watching a smaller group of people run around doing everything. That's not what God had in mind. He wanted all of the parts of the body functioning. Are we with it? Are we going to get after using our gifts? Well, we have to pray. There needs to be consistent praying because we won't accomplish those things apart from it.